Really, yeah. really good. What a privilege to, to be online with you guys. Welcome to part two of Whatever Happens, a lockdown manifesto to joy, where we are looking at the book of Philippians. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen, because uh, as Mark says, for us, the Word of God is imperative at this time. If the, the, the Word of God is not shaping you, yeah. the world will be shaking you. You have to be standing on the Word of God at this time, and we've got to be feasting on the Word, not just nibbling on it, not just getting a, a bumper sticker, a Twitter update, no, but diving into the Word. And that's why I say well done for you, to you for prioritizing this time tonight, prioritizing the Word of God. So, Part two of whatever happens, here we go. Three questions that I always ask myself before I read any portion of Scripture. And I think more importantly, the book of Philippians and specifically, three questions I would love to answer as the intro to give you context to what we're trying to achieve here in this eight-part series. Is The first question is, who wrote it? Who wrote it? And uh, the book gives it away in the first word. It says, Paul. And I want to tell you the Apostle Paul wrote this book, and he's a man who wrote, if you're unfamiliar, two-thirds of the New Testament. He's regarded as like the Apostle of the Apostles. He's a church planter. He's a towering figure over the, the early church and over uh, Christianity ever since. His name is synonymous with New Testament writings and shaping theology and how we do church. But he's also, he's got a, a former name. He's the artist formerly known as Saul. And why this is huge for me just to bring some context to it is that if you want to find his backstory, you can go read what Paul, who Paul was before he became Paul. He was known as Saul in the end of Acts chapter 8 and, and Acts chapter 9. And it's, it's so profound for us because we've got to know this, that he made a living out of persecuting the early church. So much so, he actually, it wasn't just uh, vicariously through other people. He was hands-on involved. And actually, he was notorious for being a, a violent man towards the way, to the followers of Christ. And in fact, he actually was a murderer of Christ followers. He was there giving assent to, yeah. to Stephen's death. He was, it was, and this is so huge. We mustn't, if we've been in church, we hear, they go, yeah, yeah. It's like, and then he gets saved. He meets Jesus. It's like present day an ISIS terrorist who's involved in, a, in, in mass bombings of Western civilizations or beheading of Christians, finding Jesus and then becoming the leading voice in evangelicalism. It's huge. It, it, it's huge and it does one thing for me. It reminds me of the extreme good news of the gospel. Yeah. That the gospel works. The good news of Jesus can get into any heart. And it's with that I wanted to say this to you today. Maybe you need to write this on the, in the chats. Write this down. But whatever happens, you are not too far gone. Come on. I want to tell you that from the onset. As I read that, I know Paul wrote this. A guy who was formerly killing Christians. You are not too far gone. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you're from. It feels like I'm about to sing a Backstreet Boys song there. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Whatever happens, you're not too far gone for the good news of Jesus Christ. His grace goes further still. Yeah. The second question, who wrote it, Paul? Where was it written from? Prison. It was written from prison. The ironies of ironies. The guy who used to imprison Christians as part of his job is now in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus. And this is amazing because as we, we call this series, the book of Philippians is notorious as being a, a, a manual to joy. A manifesto, as we call it, to joy, living with joy in whatever circumstance. And I want to say, if, you, if I said someone's written a manual towards your joy, uh, you would think, you would, you would be excused to think that it was written from maybe a retreat, a spa, a mountaintop, a zen-like garden with whale songs in the background. But no, it wasn't written in that space. No, it was written from a prison, a cold, dark prison. 
And I want to just say this, that God uses prisons. It's a, it's a, it's a motif all the way through scriptures. Yeah. We preached it last year. Joseph, Daniel, John the Baptist, John on the island of Patmos. God used prisons to preach his good news and shape cultures and societies. And those stories are remembered because God used their prison. And with that, I want to say this as I lean into the camera. Maybe you need to write this one down as well. Whatever happens, your situation or your circumstance is not too far gone for God to use it. It's not. It is not, it is not, it is not. I want to say maybe you're feeling constrained and constricted and it feels like your marriage has become a prison or your job has become a prison. Your life stage, your financial status, your health challenge. I want to tell you in the hands of Almighty God, when you understand this whatever happens reality, your prison can become your platform. Stop looking for a way out and start opening the door and let Him in. Let Him in because He'll use it. So who wrote it? Paul. Where did he write from? Prison. Who was he writing it to? Thirdly and finally, the Philippians. This is so deep, deep theology right here, I know. It's the title of the book, Gabe, I know. But what is so huge about this? Why is he writing to this people group? Lived in Macedonia, Philippi, this, this church. Well, I'll tell you three reasons very quickly why he wrote to them. Number one, he loves them. He's in prison. He's, everything inside of me would be sulking, would have been thinking about, woe is me, nursing my wounds, talking down, how many more days till I get out? But he is writing a letter full of joy and full of love and affection to a group called the Philippian church. He loves them. And as we read it, we're going to read the first 12 verses now. You'll pick up the emotive language. This is not just some lukewarm, yeah, I love you. No, this is him, the heart. He even says, I have the affection of Christ towards you. He loves them. Why? If you want to read their backstory with Paul, Acts 16, go read it. The start of this church in Philippi. Paul knew these people. He knew them. Not from a distance. He was there. He was there. Not only that, he actually personally led the, the early believers there to the Lord. Lydia a slave girl, a prison guard and his family. He baptized them and he was involved in their work and he saw the work of God in their lives. Now, this letter is written a few years later and I can imagine he probably has watched their lives. A slave girl who's set free probably now has a family. She's probably married and got kids and now serving in the kids ministry at this church. Lydia is probably now in charge of the finance, directing finance, uh, financial aid across the world. You know, and the prison guard, the blue collar man who was abusing Paul is now probably on the greeting team, welcoming people and ushering a drummer, probably a drummer. I don't know, but Paul's seen this and he loves them. So he writes them because he loves them. Secondly, he partners in the gospel with them. Not just some far off people. They're partners. They, you'll, as we read, he partners in prayer with them. They are people who are not ashamed of his chains. Usually in that culture, if someone was in prison, you would distance yourself. They've moved closer. They, they're sending word towards him. We're praying for you. We're for you. They are partners with him in, in his ministry and ultimately partners financially. He says it in Corinthians. He talks about them. says, the Philippian church are famous for giving out of their poverty. He says, though they don't have money, whatever happens, they're always the first to give. And at the end of the book, chapter 4, he actually asked them again, I want you to partner with me again in the ministry financially. It's just, he, these are people he can ask the big things of because he loves them and he's partnered with them. And I want to say at that junk, this juncture, Wayne is passionately praying for you this evening because we as a church, we love you. We love you with the affection of Christ and we pray for you. We pray for you. These prayers are not put on. These are prayers that I know every Tuesday an eldership team gathers and prays for you. A staff team prays for you and pleads for God before you. And thank you for partnering with us. This is very real for us. That's why we love this book. I want to tell you the third and final reason why we're writing to Philippians is he wants them to know that they can have joy whatever happens. He wants them to know that. And that is why we're preaching it. We're preaching it because we want you, just like the Philippian church, we want ourselves to know this joy. And I'm calling it a whatever happens kind of joy. 
I want that to take residence in your heart. So why don't you write that in, your, in the chat right now. Why don't you say, give me some of that joy. Give me some of that joy. Lean in with faith. We, God is wanting to knit this deep into the fabric of our hearts. So why don't we read together Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 13. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaking, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Powerful power of scripture. And I want to jump straight into it tonight by helping us frame this, this, this beautiful text in three ways. So I want to say, if you and I are to have a whatever happens type of joy, we need to know three things, three key things from this portion of scripture. Number one is that we are servants of Christ. It says in the first line, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now that's so huge and, and maybe we'll just uh, breeze over there as the opening salvo, what's going on here. But this is not normal for Paul. Paul and other letters will say, Paul and your status credentials. Paul, an apostle of Christ. But in this case, he, he takes a humble position. And he says, we're servants of Christ. And actually, if you, Mark said, I was going to give you some Hebrew and Greek, but here we go with some Hebrew. Hebrew. The, that word servant is better translated doulos. Doulos, it'll appear on the screen next to me, but doulos, and that's the Greek noun meaning slave or bondservant. Now, I want to tell you, the, the, the translations, modern day translations have got, become very nervous, and rightly so, of the word slave. So they've distanced themselves, they try and soften it, and I understand it for our, our context, our reality, but I, I don't want to soften what Paul is trying to say here about his relationship to Christ Jesus and our relationship to Christ Jesus, because he's trying to show us that we can have joy whatever happens. And when he says this word bondservant or slaves of Jesus Christ, that word there means that that bondservant was somebody who was bought, owned, and ruled by another. Now just let's apply that to our context of relationship with Jesus. We've been bought, yeah. the Corinthians says, we've been bought with a price, so honor God with your body. You've been bought with a price, so you are now slaves to him. We are bought with him, and we are owned and ruled by him. Now, let me bring some context to this. Exodus chapter 21 is where this first appears. And it's, for the time's sake, it's a narrative about a slave. And in that context, slaves who are masters. And the master, the instructions from, from God to his people is a, that if you've owned a slave for six years, then you're allowed to let them go. Let them go. Live their life. Set them up for success and let them go. Unless that slave or bondservant so loves the master and says, actually, I don't want to go. I want to voluntarily stay in your employ. I want to stay here under you. I, I don't want to leave this. 
What would happen then in this moment, the bond service, bond servant and the master would do this incredible ceremony where the bond servant would come and put his ear on the master's doorpost and they'd hammer a nail through it so that it would take the, some of the, the skin off and leave a hole in the ear so everyone will know, oh, he is, he is nailed to somebody else. He's indebted to somebody else. He's, he's, um, he's a servant, a slave of somebody else. But also they did against the doorpost, so some of the owner's doorpost would be on the ear and some of the ear would be on the doorpost. I know, it sounds macabre. It sounds macabre. But let me tell you what we're going with this thing. It's so powerful when we understand this, the context, because in Philippians, that, that word servant, doulos, is only used twice. It's used the first time, and the first verse we said, servants of Christ Jesus. The second time is used in the passages Mark, Mark was navigating our hearts to last week in chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus, who, though he was uh, God and, and equal in God, he did not see, um, take equality, something to be grasped, but gave it up and took on the nature of a servant. That word is servant, nature of a slave, a bondservant. It's huge. And when you understand the, con the, the, the connotations of that, is that the Son of God became the Son of Man in a sense. He nailed himself. We know it, the doorpost. He nails himself to humanity, and he does not remove himself from humanity's employ. What I mean by that, the Son of God still is the Son of Man. He's still the God-man in glory. He still has the nail-pierced hands as we would have, a, as a bondservant would have a hole in the ear. He still has holes in his hands saying, this is where I bore the scars. They're still held for you and I. This is so huge for us. And I want to say this is massive because this shows us that we are, when you say servants of Christ, servants by choice, continue praying. People who continue praying, not my will, but yours be done. And this, this rallies, I know, this rallies against our sense of freedom or uh, individual autonomy that, that we love. But I want to tell you this text, if you want joy, and now I'm not saying happiness, something cheap and fleeting, joy, whatever happens, joy, that's unshakable, it's costly, and it's hugely unpopular. You know, Jesus, we say it often, needed a PR guy. He would say to, he said in this one moment, he told his disciples, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go down well unless you've, even if you're into twilight, even if you're into that vampire stuff, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And then the crowds, it says the crowds left him because this was hard. Jesus is calling them to, to, to lay their lives on servants, slaves of Christ. Yeah. And the disciples are still there and says, why don't you leave too? And they say, where else can we go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. In a sense, they had nailed their ears. They said, we, we're going nowhere else. I don't fully get it, but I'm going nowhere else. There's a joy in you that I'm not going to sway from. Yeah. And, I, and you know what? This is huge because Paul, when you read the Apostle Paul, you couldn't touch this guy. You see, Paul had this whatever happens joy because he was constrained to Christ. He had nailed himself to Christ saying, this is who I am. I'm not going anywhere else. Where else? They would say to Paul, Paul, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to torture you. And I can imagine Paul almost going, would you? Because he would say, I do not count the present suffering as worthy to compare to the future glory. So bring it on. So then they'll get a bit frustrated and they can imagine they'll say, well, then we'll put you in prison. He goes, would you? Because then I've got more time to write letters and then I can convert your gods, please. They're like, this is so frustrating. So they said, fine, we'll kill you. He goes, would you? Because to die is gain. They're like, fine, we'll leave you alone and let you live. Oh, to live is Christ. You just couldn't touch this guy. He had a whatever happens joy because he was constrained. He said, nothing else, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I'm a slave to Christ. And this is huge. You see, Mark chapter 10 says this way. James and John are arguing. Can I sit on your left? Can I sit on your right? And Jesus gives this incredible lesson about greatness. He said, if you want to be great, you have to serve. You have to serve. He says, the Son of Man came to serve, to seek and serve. It's huge. And I want to tell you that my encouragement to us in this time, if we want a whatever happens joy, free yourself 
from being a slave to performance. Free yourself from being a slave to titles. Free yourself from being a slave to pleasing men. Free yourself from, from, from being a slave to likes and followers and popularity, to increases and bonuses. Stop tying and nailing your joy to those things that ebb and flow, but chain yourself, nail yourself to be a servant of Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ. And we have to know, firstly, we're servants of Christ. Secondly, he goes on, we have to know if we want a whatever happens kind of joy, that we are saints in Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that word saints, uh, like if someone said that, uh, the first colloquial term people say these days is, you know, I, I'm no saint. They'll say that to you almost like, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect, you know, to excuse the behavior that comes away. And maybe or if you've got a bit of a, a Catholic background or, you know, you've heard of those type of people who've been, uh, you know, they're the Catholic, sainted. Yeah, they've, they've reached a certain stage of the miraculous or piety. Those saints, and they're almost out of touch. And we've got this exalted or elitist status. But that's not the Bible saying it. That's what Paul's saying here. And actually, when we look at the Greek, and second and last Greek word I'll give you tonight, is that word saint is translated hagios. Hagios. In other translations, will be God's holy people, to the elect. But hagios is best translated as distinct, consecrated, dedicated, set apart for noble and royal use. It's something that Paul loves to call Christians. He could have used a myriad of different words to call us. He could have used different names or different things to, uh, that other authors have used. But Paul loved this word saint, and he used it 39 times across his epistles. Kept calling the church of God, even, even in the, the debaucherous states, they call them, you are saints. This is what he called, and it's huge, because it's not just wink, wishful thinking. It's a theological fact. And the, why is this huge? We need to know this. To, if we want whatever happens kind of joy, you have to know this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, one of my, my pet favorites, says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to become sin for us. Why? So we might become the righteousness of God. Not just so that we get to heaven one day, but no, so right now, in the present, here and now, we become the righteousness. Now, this is huge because I've said this many times, but I have to keep reminding myself. I, I, for so many years, I had this picture that Jesus was perfect, and then he took my sin on like it was a garment. He put it on and wore it for as long as he needed to, and then he took it off, and then, and then, and then likewise, he puts on a garment of righteousness on me. That's not what it says. It goes to extremes and says this, and I've underlined it seven times in my Bible to get it into my head, that Christ became our sin. He didn't just put it on temporarily. In that moment, he was sin personified. On the cross, he was the fullness of sin. It is so shocking and so huge. And why that is such good news is that means in the great exchange, when we become his righteousness, we don't just put it on and then take it off when we mess up and put it on in good times and take it off. No, we become his righteousness. Right now, sir, ma'am, I look, and if you want whatever happens, kind of joy, you are the righteousness of Christ. It's huge. And this is massive, past, present, future, sin, covered. And the Bible tells us that word hagios, completely holy. It's almost an oxymoron. You can't say something's completely holy because holy means completely set apart. So if it's partially holy, that's not holy anymore. So what I love to say when people say, oh, you know what? I'm, I hear what you're saying, but I want to tell you, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. Yeah. What does that mean? Why? Because if I had a bottle of water and on the label said 99% pure and the asterisk underneath said 1% dirt or poison. That thing is not pure anymore. Throw it out. But when the Bible says you are pure or holy, you are 100% righteous. 
It is not anything else. And this is huge. Why this is massive and why this is a fight for our joy is because as the hymn says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. The enemy will come and try to knock at the door and say, remember what you did. Remember who you are. And I want to tell you, whatever happens, joy is ours when we know we are saints in Christ Jesus. Number one, servants of Christ Jesus. Number two, saints in Christ Jesus. And finally, sanctified by Christ Jesus. What does sanctified mean? It means to be made more like Christ, to reflect His character in this world more and more, to be fashioned more and more into His image. Now, this is huge because this is where some people jump off the bandwagon a little bit. Okay, cool. Now it's my time to pick up. Yeah, what do I need to do, Gabe? Well, before we get there, let me just make sure go what Paul is saying because I want to just echo what his words are. As he goes on after verse 3, 4, 5, he tells him of their partnership and his love for them. But verse 6 comes this powerful verse. And it's so huge. It says this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is massive. Because... Paul says, I am sure of this. Other words they could have used was, I am confident of this. I am convinced to the uttermost. I am certain of this fact, Paul says, that he who began a good work. Who began it? Jesus. Jesus began the work, good work, and at the very end, he'll complete it. That means this rests on his faithfulness, not ours. For time's sake, I won't read it, but I'd love you to go read 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 to 24. It's Paul writing to the Thessalonians church with the same logic, telling them about their sanctification, says, and, and he uses the exact same words, saying, God, will, God is faithful in bringing this about. This he, I am sure of. It's the confidence that God does it. You know, and maybe this is the practical example. As I want to tell you, God, no matter where you are, whatever happens right now, God hasn't given up on the drawing and design when it stops going to play, according to your plan. I've got this image of my daughter, Olivia. She's starting to draw a lot. She loves drawing, and her drawing is abstract at best. I'm trying to work out, what's that, Lives, And it's like, it's like it's impressionist art, you know? I'm not too sure, Lives, but I'll go with what you say, you know? But sometimes she's got this design, she's drawing, and then she gets frustrated because she started out doing something. It's not looking like what she wanted, and, uh, and then she's like, Dad, come draw with me. And then I get to draw, and I start to, with her scribbles, I start to draw a picture there and start to and draw a house. And, and it's a bad example because I ain't no artist. But we serve the artist who takes our failings and says, actually, I began it and I haven't dropped the pen. Though you've gone off the page, I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. That's the guarantee. Maybe you're just here today and you're saying, you know, Gabe, you know, I'm doing well, but I'm just weak then. We use it almost as an excuse. I'm just weak in that area. I'm just, no, he is still working. Don't just say, that's my personality. Don't just say, that's how I've always been. That's how I've always been treated. No, allow in that area, God, define me again, because you will bring this area to completion. It's a guarantee. It's also our goal. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says this, By that one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What a divine paradox. He's saying, he has made you holy, and he is making you holy. Sometimes I just don't get the Bible, but I love it. What is it basically saying? It's saying that we are working from holiness. We are working from holiness for holiness, and he's calling us to lean into us. But this is for time's sake on land. This is what we pray for you. And this is what Paul prays, and this is what we pray for you in this season. Verse 9 to 11, we've been praying this sort of prayers for you. It is my prayer, it is our prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
constrained to him, servant of him, saint in Christ Jesus, but now sanctified by Christ Jesus, not letting up knowing that he will bring it out to completion. And I want to say that whatever happens, whether circumstances are great or bad, mountaintop or valley low, you will be able to grow in these. You will be able to grow in these. The, the, the NLT version says that I'll pray that you'll be able to discern what is best. What is best? And this is our prayer for you in this season. We've been saying, praying that actually you would be able to know not just what is okay, yeah. not just what is average, not just what is allowed, not just what is good enough, not just what will make me happy. Let me tell you, sir, if that, ma'am, your question is, what will make me happy? It's too low a bar. Paul is fighting for your joy. Or whatever happens, joy. Your happiness is fickle. If you're tied to a spouse, to a relationship, to a job, what happens when those things fail you? Then your happiness is gone. What are when they let you down? But when we tie it to a whatever happens, joy, servant of Christ, saint in Christ Jesus, sanctified by Christ, it starts to become unshakable. So I want to challenge you. Maybe you're living together tonight. I want to challenge you that maybe that's not best. It's not best. Maybe it works. Maybe it aids your financial situation, but it's not best. Yeah. And God says, I will help you. Yeah. I will lead, lead you. Trust me. Maybe it's, you're wanting to win that argument. You're wanting to hold on to that offense. You want to click that link. You want to reply to that text. And you say, it's, it's, it's harmless. I want to tell you right now, He can help you. He'll help you because He longs to see you grow in Christ's likeness. He is for that. And as we land, the last two verses, verse 12 and 13 say, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I want to tell you and land this moment, the height of a whatever happens type of joy, the height of maturity, of growing in maturity, is tying your trials, learning to tie your trials to His mission. Tie your trials, tie your prisons to something bigger. You see, can I tell you, your joy is tied to His glory. If you live for anything less, you will not live in the fullness of a whatever happens kind of joy. Your joy is tied to His glory. Tie your joy to His glory because it never fades. It never goes back away. It never gets less. It never decreases. His glory is unending. And it's, it's bright shining like the, the morning star. Tie your joy to His glory, to His mission. Live for others. Live for that. And you'll get a whatever type happens type of joy. Because our Savior Jesus, He's our model, our example. As Mark said beautifully last week in Philippians 2, the anchor point, the gravitational pull of this whole book is about Christ and Him becoming nothing unto death, obedient unto death on the cross. And then getting the name above all names. Can I tell you, that story tells us that Christ endured the cross. He endured the pain. He endured the, that moment of sorrow. He endured the separation. He endured the hardship. Why? For the joy set before Him. Yes. We have a whatever happens kind of joy. When we tie our joy to being servants of Christ Jesus, saints in Christ Jesus, sanctified by Christ Jesus, all for His glory. And that's Philippians 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, in Jesus' name.